Welcome to The Pragmatic Pagan. Here we explore an inclusive pagan path via science-based witchcraft, no deities included. With a focus on nature and energy, this spiritual practice is centered on lunar tides and seasonal cycles. Check the link tree in the bio for lots of great resources. Merry meet all. This podcast is recorded on the homeland of the Duwamish people, and more broadly, the Coast Salish people, as well as many other indigenous tribes that make their home here in the Pacific Northwest of America, past, present, and future. As a spiritual being and steward of this land that I call home, I feel honored with the responsibility of caring for this piece of our planet. Please take a moment to join me in honoring the original stewards of the land on which you are residing and a moment of gratitude for the earth itself and the bounty it provides. Please join me in words that work for you. To the ancestors that hold this ground and for those spirits yet to come, May you fill me with guidance as I learn my place as a steward of this land and its creatures. In the gift of this role, I hold gratitude for all that surrounds me, for the water which cleanses me, for the earth's fruit which nourishes me, for the air that breathes life, for the fire that warms as it burns and for the divine cosmos within. I am a child of the universe, at one with the trees and the stars. May the tides of the moon fill me with silver and the sunbeams tint me in gold. From light to dark, from birth to death, spring to winter, new moon to full, and back again. It is a beautiful world, one worth protecting. This I will, as within, so without, as above, so below, as I am, so mote it be. The Pragmatic Pagan participates in Real Rent Duwamish as a way to compensate for the land that was stolen through violence and broken land treaties. I encourage you to look into and participate in Real Rent programs that support Indigenous communities in your area. I also encourage you to take an active stance in environmental issues, both at home and worldwide. Our planet needs its stewards, now more than ever. It can be as simple as picking up trash in your neighborhood, using less water, and buying local goods. Check out the link tree in the bio for more great ways to connect with our planet and give back. There is no right way to practice witchcraft. What there are, are lots of ways to practice, and of those ways, some are more centered around a solitary practice, while others focus on group work, often, but not always, in a coven format. Knowing which one works best for you may take a little experimenting. It's important to do your research and experience for yourself until you find what works for you. 
Just because working with a certain coven didn't work for you, it doesn't mean that all covens won't work for you. It's also true that you may go through times of solitary practice and times of group practice. There are often groups of solitary practitioners that meet for full moon esbats and to celebrate the high holy days. In this episode, I'm going to dig a bit more into a coven versus solitary path and how that might shape your witchy journey. Full disclosure, I have spent most of my years as a solitary practitioner with the occasional group practice, but no formal training in an established coven. Covens are groups of magical practitioners who work deeply together, using their bond as a source of magic. This connection helps them to achieve energy raising that can boost an intent or spells signal. Covens are the model of witchcraft we see most often in modern media, a group of witches gathered in a circle around a bonfire. While this is technically an image you will see with a coven, the purpose and the path go much deeper than that. These groups work together to create an interwoven magical practice, celebrating high holy days, sabbats, and esbats, but also doing group spell and healing work. Each coven will have its own values and beliefs. Some will focus on a specific deity, others on the pantheon, others will work an entirely different approach. Coven groups vary in size, some are as small as three people, while more traditional sizes tend to be around 13. However, there is no golden number. Size is one of the key factors in picking a coven that will work best for you. One of the other factors of covens is the process of entry or initiation. Covens often ask that initiates participate on a peripheral level for at least a year, learning the basic traditions, values, and beliefs. This initiation is often a yearly ceremony that is held on one of the espats or sabbats. Samhain, or the Witch's New Year, is a popular initiation time, as is the Spring Fire Festival of Beltane. Once in the coven, there can be additional tiers of expertise that give rank to members. Other covens offer a more flat structure. In some practices, the leadership or the high priest and priestess roles are elected, and in others they are passed down by selection of the previous leader. It truly depends on the values and beliefs of the coven itself as to its internal structures. Here are some questions I might ask myself if I was considering a coven. Do they practice the same values and beliefs as I do or that I'm interested in learning? How often do they meet and does this fit with my schedule, i.e. can I commit to the practice? Does the size of the group feel good? Will I be okay if it grows? What is the initiation process like? Do I have the time for any lessons, meetings, etc.? And perhaps most importantly, do I feel comfortable when the coven meets? Do I feel like I can be my witchy self, but also able to center and ground to, to feel a connection? When you find the right fit, covens provide a built-in community to explore and learn your practice a group to celebrate your wins and help you through your questions. These structures are often very helpful for those not sure where to begin. I want to be honest that there are a lot of opinions out there about covens, who can create them, who should lead them, and who should participate. Figure out what works for you, and don't worry about what others say. There is no one way in paganism or witchcraft. No matter who leads or starts the coven, the key is that the power of working with a group of to focus in on a singular goal can be truly and amazingly powerful. Remember, when selecting a coven, they are auditioning you as much as you are auditioning them. Their beliefs, the people themselves, all play an integral part in how successful a group is. 
Covens are ideally intimate enough that you know everyone, and, well, you know their life story, where their passions and values lie. You have to be able to really connect with them. And if you don't, and there's a lot of tension, it can interfere with energy work. While yes, discord may create energy, it's a chaotic energy and one you may not be looking to invite into your life. A coven should make you feel safe in your skin, where you can let your true witchy self shine without fear or worry or the need to impress. The ability to just be. For this reason, please be very mindful of what I call pay-to-play covens. Your coven will likely require dues to cover the cost of supplies and your mentor's time, but be wary of any that charge for very peripheral participation and target large groups. Covens are intended to be tight-knit, spiritual families. Take time to find the one that helps you shine. While covens draw on the power of a group, a solitary witch engages their energy with nature and the elements for a more personal and private connection. Solitary work is great for those who perhaps don't feel comfortable in large groups, don't know anyone else who practices, or maybe just likes to be a bit more private in their spiritual endeavors. Sometimes a solitary practice comes from the necessity of having to keep your spirituality hidden from others. This is especially true of younger practitioners or those that are in the midst of converting. It can be really challenging to both learn a new path while also justifying it to those around you. Stick with what you can handle. There are lots of great ways to practice while keeping things under wraps. Solitary practitioners often find themselves on the spiritual path without a mentor. Thus, being self-taught, it's no surprise that each witch's practice is as unique as we are. Solitary paths are often less straightforward or well-designed as a coven's initiation process. But that doesn't mean solitary witches don't practice self-initiations, or that our whole solo journey isn't an initiation in itself. You will find similarities in many practices. Many witches include the four elements and a spirit or divine fifth element. The casting of a circle and divination tools are all commonly found among differing solitary practices as well. The solitary practice really hones in on your own energy and the power you hold as a human being on this floating rock in space. It requires that you get intimate with yourself and not just the parts you like either. The term shadow work comes up a lot because solitary work is soul work. It requires you to spend time with the deepest, witchiest, and the most human animal parts of us. I have been a solo practitioner for most of my journey. When I was young, in my teenage years, I actually started with a small coven. Learning together was amazing, but it wasn't until I began to dig more deeply into my solo work that I really found that connection to the energy around me and within me. It takes really listening to yourself and the world around, to the tides of the earth and sky, cell and tissue. But all of that can feel a bit daunting, and I hear the question a lot, where do I even start? What is reliable information? If you're on a solo path and aren't sure how to structure things, I encourage you to consider planning your journey, an idea map. You could structure it something like, okay, uh, year one is about exploring, getting your toes wet trying new things. So you learn the basics, meditation, circle casting, elements, grounding, basic spell casting, basic energy work. Essentially season one of this podcast. 
you will celebrate as many high holy days, full moons and new moons as possible, which let's be honest, in your first year may only be three or so. That's okay. Congratulations. Three is great. Learn the bones of your astrology chart, meaning what is your sun sign, your moon sign, your rising sign at minimum? Do you identify as these? Some people don't, and that's completely okay. More on that in another episode. Just engage. Astrology can be a bit take it or leave it, and you need to try it out to find out for sure. Still in year one, you could start your book of shadows or grimoire as you start to try rituals and spells you like, or to keep notes that you consistently reference. For instance, drafts of the circle and elemental casts you are doing, moon phases. Consider this a 3D journal too. Paste dried flowers and herbs, ribbons, etc. as examples, tangible reminders. Then spend some time exploring different types of witchcraft, from science-based to more of an atheistic approach to Wicca, from Thelema to Celtic and Druidic. Do any particularly resonate with you? Take note. And a great year one end goal is to have a good sense of what feels natural in your beliefs, or at least what doesn't fit. It took me a long time to realize that the community I was searching for hadn't been created yet. Witchcraft and paganism are very much tied with deities and pantheons and most practices. And it's okay to not have it all figured out, but be thinking about it. Start to document what you do and maybe don't believe. Another goal is to have a circle cast elemental call that you like and have memorized. Granted, this will consistently change over time with your practice and if you are practicing with others, but it's a great goal to culminate the year. In year two, it's about getting your feet underneath you. Divide the year into quarters and spend time with each element, physically, energetically, and through meditation. Get to know your relationship with each. Ask yourself and note, do you find that certain elements come more naturally than others? Where do you see that resistance? And how does it show up in your everyday life? Consider leveling up your energy work. Don't just feel energy, but start to learn to identify it. Not only through identifying objects, but also the different energy centers or chakras within yourself. Each has a different vibrational energy. Learn to tap in. Next, you might level up your astral meditations. Spend active time in the dream world. A great place to start is learning to look at your hands in your dreams. Then, learn to flip them over. Also, begin work in your astral home if you haven't already. Then delve into the ties between astronomy and astrology. This helps determine best times to do things to get the most energetic punch. But also, the signs of our stars and planet consistently tell us new things about the universe in our bodies. Celebrate high holy days, full moons, and new moons. Focus on ways to do this practically and holistically. It doesn't have to be a big production every time. This year, aim for twice as many as you did last year. Keep exploring and specifically begin to explore how you connect with energy. Are you most connected while cooking in the kitchen? Or maybe you feel connected when you're public speaking or reading a good book. Pay attention to when your energy flows the best. This will give you clues as to how you can use your natural talents to channel your magic. This becomes the craft part of your witchcraft. 
End of year goals might include updating your beliefs. They will likely have changed or solidified during the second year. Document them in your grimoire. Another good goal is to aim for as many high holy days, espats, and sabbats as you can integrate into your life. There are a lot of days to, of import in our spiritual calendar, and it can feel daunting to participate in all of it. In year two, really focus on figuring out what works best for you. You don't have to do it all. Having set up an active astral home will be key by this point. A lot of the deeper solo spiritual work comes with time, and having that mental place to return to can be very comforting and healing for the soul. Build it now so you have it when you need it. Let's call year three revealing the witch within. This year, focus on ritual building. Begin to really personalize all aspects of the rituals you use. Spell work, try different types of spells. Focus on how timing and energy levels play a difference. Then continue to dig deeper into energy work. Focus on learning to create balance into your own energy flow, then expand that to have an effect on the things around you. Be gentle as you practice on yourself, but others as well. Your energy can easily spill into others who aren't shielding. Learn how to control that. Expand your work with your energy centers, learning to tap into each, building a visual and astral space that allows you to connect with their core power. Consider exploring the dream world more and being active in that part of your subconscious. By working with your dream self, you can learn to better inhabit your astral self, which increases its potency. Hopefully, by now, you are starting to see progress with flipping your hand over in your dream. Continue this work and start to see where else you might be conscious. This is particularly important if you have reoccurring dreams or themes in your dreams. Continue to practice your high holy days, espats, and sabbats in ways that work for you. Make adjustments and move with the flow. All years will be different. With a deeper understanding of astronomy and astrology, this is a great year to dig into the larger view of your astral birth chart. There are things that might start to make more sense once you have a bigger picture. On the other hand, you may choose to leave this out of your practice altogether. In year three, I encourage the exploration of divination. This is the concept of communicating with energy. In many practices, a divine energy. I will be doing a whole series of episodes on the different types of divination, but it includes everything from reading tarot and tea leaves to pendulums and scrying. If this is of interest, year three is a great time to really start to explore those skills. Why wait this long? You don't have to. You may make a connection with divination in year one, but I guarantee that in year three, your practice and connection with the energy will be a deeper well to tap into, which is key in successful divination work. The goal for the end of year three is to have a good sense of your beliefs and practice, what works for you, what you like to and can celebrate, and how. It might include having a good sense of where you want your path to go from here. At the end of year three, I encourage a small self-initiation or graduation as you now to start to hone in on the next level of your path. It might include a bit of an oath to your beliefs and how you plan to use your energy. In some cases, it might even include a deity, an energy type, fae, an element, or spirit. Centered around a high holy day, new, or full moon that has significance for you. 
and use your craft to make yourself something, something that you can bring out, recreate, or enjoy each year. Maybe you always read a few pages from a favorite book that really lights your witchy fire, or maybe you always cook a specific favorite treat to celebrate. Use your craft as a way to celebrate you. Then from there, year after year, it's about learning what interests you, what clicks. It can be a bit of a trial and error to find where your natural talents click and energy flows, but it's worth every minute. And as you learn, you start to dig deeper into the veins of each practice. Sometimes you may travel more than one path at a time. Sometimes you may get off the path or pause your practice entirely. That's okay. It will always be present when you are ready to look for it. Now that all sounds like a lot, but truly there is no set timeline. This might take you three years or it might take you 10 or maybe a lifetime. Being a witch isn't a box you check and then you are done. It's part of who you are. And for that reason, it can and should evolve with you over time. Solitary practitioners, especially those just starting out, may consider finding yourself a mentor, someone that you can sort of apprentice with. You don't usually practice together, but they should help you see and overcome blocks in your practice, guide you through tough times from a spiritual standpoint, etc. It's similar to the role ministers often play in a more structured religious format. This, however, ends up being hopefully a bit more personal. I have started taking on the role of mentor for a friend recently, and it has been perhaps one of the most rewarding parts of my practice to see them grow into theirs. So, for you experienced witches out there, consider if you feel confident and ready in your journey to give back through a mentor-apprentice relationship. Solitary practicing can feel lonely at times, especially around the high holy days. It is natural that we want people to celebrate our beliefs with us, and it can be hard to find that as a solitary pagan witch for a number of reasons. That being said, find ways to connect, even if it's just through Pragmatic Pagan Facebook group and Patreon. I'm here to connect back and happy to share and create whatever community anyone needs. I know technology and virtual rituals seem at odds with the natural practice of witchcraft, but coming from a science standpoint, math is one of the most beautiful and natural things on this planet. Technology that translates math into codes and codes into text and images is pretty amazing to me magic in its own right. And I say this as a person who works in IT and knows how it all works. It's all still very cool to me. All this to say, connect, connect, connect any way you can. Look into local groups and Unitarian churches as possibilities as well. And remember that you don't have to be in a coven to gather to celebrate the high holy days. In fact, a sister witch and I recently hosted a Samhain event. And if you head over to the Patreon, you can see the outline for the evening. The group isn't a coven, but we gather to celebrate together and share insight in our journeys. It's truly amazing to see each other grow. We are excited to plan our Yule festivities, so head over to the Patreon if you want to find out how we structure that as well. If you aren't sure where to start in your solitary practice, please reach out. Social media, Patreon, or send me an email at apragmaticpagan at gmail.com. Also, I highly recommend the Irish Pagan School as a good place to learn more about general pagan high holy days and the roots of the Irish Pagan path. Please check out the link tree for a link to their website. They offer an array of online classes that do a great job of decolonizing the practice and create a great foundation on the history of many of the traditions found in this podcast. 
You will notice that it does focus on an Irish deity pantheon, but that is part of the history, ritual, and roots of these practices. It is important that we understand and respectfully hold space for the beliefs around these rituals, especially if we want to include them in our journey. May your solitary path be filled with the company of the trees and the stars. Coven versus Solitary Path As you can tell, there are benefits and drawbacks to both approaches, which is often why I work as a solitary practitioner most of the time, but participate and hold group gatherings to create a sense of community. The same reason I started this podcast, to bring together practitioners to learn and share their journey. Some people might argue that a coven spell work will always be more potent than a solitary practitioner's, and perhaps it is true. It is also very, very true that it is really hard to get a group of people on the exact same wavelength and feeling the exact same emotional energy and vibration, which means the intent can get watered down a bit sometimes. Solitary work often pulls heavily on elemental energy found in nature. Coven work will do this as well, but often naturally relies more on the connection between people to boost a signal. The point is, neither is a better way to practice. They are just different ways to practice. Pick the one that is the most available and feels the most comfortable. You can always change it up as you go. If you are interested in a coven, you might try finding one in your area, or if you know a few others that are interested, you can always start your own. And while you might hear some witches talk about the validity of self-founded covens, don't let this dissuade you. It's up to you how much you invest in that dialogue. What's important is that you find a way to connect spiritually to yourself and the world around you, however you feel most comfortable doing that. If a solitary path feels more to your liking, consider how you might shape your practice. I started pretty young, but in my early 20s, I started to pay more attention to the arc of my witchcraft journey where I was spending my time and studies. Because here's the thing, there is a bit of study involved. Even in the most rudimentary practices, learning about the elements, our connection to nature and energy, as well as the specifics of the practice you pick to take time, and even more time to master them, especially as you get into the arts of divination. If you're interested in learning more about the different ways that people practice their witchcraft, be sure to check out episode number 51, Which Way to Witch?, to learn more about some of the most common practices. When finding a path, I like to consider what craft I'm already enjoying and thriving at. For instance, I love actual crafting. So for me, a lot of my spells get woven into the things that I make. I'm essentially spell casting as I create or decorate them. For others, this might show up in the kitchen, garden, or even reading, writing, or drawing. This might be a fascination with crystals or herbs, or maybe you find yourself drawn to tarot or pendulum divination work. There are so many paths, and you can mix and match to whatever means makes your witchy self happy. Remember, there is no moment that you become a witch. You already are one. The key is whether you act into those values and beliefs. Can you walk the walk, not just talk the talk? And it's not about being perfect either. It's about doing your best. It's about when you know better, you do better. It's about finding ways to connect with the energy and world around you. And when you do, you are in touch with the witch within. 
Thank you for joining me for this episode of The Pragmatic Pagan. Find this podcast helpful? Then please consider sharing this resource with others. As always, please reach out with any questions or stories you are willing to share and stay connected by joining me on Patreon or on social media. Links are in the bio. Oh, and don't forget, by following me for free on Patreon, you get access to podcast transcripts and other great free content. Thank you for listening. Until next time, merry meet, merry part, until we merry meet again. Thank you.